Hello, and welcome to Entangled, the podcast where we explore the science of consciousness, the true nature of reality, and what it means to be a spiritual being having a human experience. I'm your host, Jordan Euclid, and today I'm joined by Stephanie DeGarry. Stephanie has a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering and is now an educational aide at a public school in Ohio, a wife and a mother of three children. In late 2020, the DeGarry family learned of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine trials for children ages 12 to 15 at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Looking for a return to normalcy like all of us, they agreed to let their three kids enroll in the trials. Everything was going according to plan until Stephanie's 12-year-old daughter, Maddie, received her second vaccine on January 20th, 2021. Immediately knew something was wrong, stating, my arm hurt way more than the first time. Over the next 24 hours, Maddie developed several serious adverse events and was admitted to the emergency room on January 21st. This was the first of seven ER visits and two hospital admissions between her second vaccine and the data cutoff for the trial on March 13th, 2021. As of today, Maddie has now visited the ER over 10 times, been admitted to the hospital four times, and spent three months with 24-7 care under functional doctors. In this interview, Stephanie discusses the aftermath of Maddie's second vaccine. One of the recurring themes you'll hear relates to pervasive censorship during the COVID-19 pandemic. This censorship continues to distort the narrative in favor of the one that Big Pharma and the organizations they control want you to believe. One of the worst parts of censorship is that the censors use their power to reduce complicated, nuanced issues into bullet points of invective. Anyone who questions the gospel of Fauci or who highlights the clear suppression of research on early treatments like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin is deplatformed for increasing vaccine hesitancy or spreading medical misinformation. But we must remember to ask, who watches the Watchmen? Do we really trust the big tech and big media oligopolies, both funded by Big Pharma, as the arbiters of truth? As you'll hear in this interview, the voices of the vaccine injured have been systemically suppressed and their stories dismissed as anti-vaxxer conspiracy theory nonsense. And as Stephanie reminds us, if she were anti-vax, would she have enrolled her kids in Pfizer's vaccine trial? Of course not. This episode is sure to be controversial, so I ask that you approach this interview with an open mind. The more I've learned from whistleblowers like Stephanie, Maddie, Dr. Robert Malone, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the more convinced I've become that the COVID-19 pandemic was pre-planned. The coordinated response involved nothing less than organized crime and criminal conspiracy. These are not allegations I make lightly, and in the outro, I provided a detailed timeline and evidence supporting this conclusion. Outros are available for this and all episodes at entangledpodcast.substack.com. Music from the show is available on the Spotify playlist, Entangled the Vibes. And finally, here's a quote from Dr. John Abramson of Harvard Medical School. The first step is to give up the illusion that the primary purpose of modern medical research is to improve Americans' health most effectively and efficiently. In our opinion, the primary purpose of commercially funded clinical research is to maximize financial return on investment, not health. Please enjoy the episode. Hello, Stephanie, and welcome to the latest episode of Entangled. Thank you so much for joining tonight. 
Thank you for having me on. I'm lucky to be joined tonight by Stephanie DeGarry and you know excited to learn a little bit more about about you and your story and and hopefully you know tell your story to to the rest of uh, the world. And so you know to kick things off Stephanie would love to hear a little bit more about uh, who you are, you know what your background is, where you grew up and that kind of thing. So my name is Stephanie DeGarry. Currently my husband and myself and our three kids live in Cincinnati, Ohio. We're actually both from Pennsylvania though. And the reason that we're Talking today is our three kids were in the Pfizer COVID vaccine trial for 12 to 15 year olds at Cincinnati Children's. So that was their first appointment was back in December of 2020, the end of December. And I I don't know what else you want me to share in terms of background. My husband um, works in in the healthcare um, industry and, and I work in a school with special ed. Great. And Stephanie, would love if you would tell us a little bit more about your kids. So we have three kids. Our oldest is 17 years old. And then our middle, uh, so a boy, and the second one is um, 16. And then our youngest is a girl, that's Maddie, and she is 14. I'll be in high school next year. crazy. You know, and uh, really interesting to me when I first learned about your story through Dr. Robert Malone, um, and, and learned more about you and, you know, saw your, your testimony in front of Congress. Um, you know, your, your story resonated with me partly so much because I grew up in Cincinnati. My mom was a public school teacher. She had three kids. I mean, this, this mm-hmm. story could have just as easily been our family. Yeah. So, you know, with that, why don't we kick things off to, you know, when did you first learn about the Pfizer vaccine trial? So we learned about the the COVID vaccine trials that were happening at Cincinnati Children's um, through a friend who was already in the trial. She actually worked for Cincinnati Children's. I mean, she was in the Pfizer, like the first, very first phase, um, had no issues. So my husband and I, once we found out about that, this is when they still were only enrolling adults. We both signed up as well. And we got all the communications. And the next step was to schedule the appointment. And that email never came. So we thought, okay, well, there's a lot of people that just must have volunteered. They wanted to, you know, they wanted to help. They wanted to get the vaccine early so that the world would go back to normal. That's back back then. That's what everybody thought. So never thought anything of it. Um, both of us were frontline. I work in a school. He works in healthcare. We were going to get them early anyways. And then, so that was like around the summer, like July, I think, around July, August. And then- Of 2020? 2020, right. And then in December of 2020, our middle son, the 16-year-old, came home and said, hey, and I won't say the name of the person to protect their identity, um, they, they, one of his friends was in the trial. It was the son of this mother um, that was already in the trial. And he said, hey, I want to be in it, too. A bunch of their other friends were in it, and they had already gotten their first dose. So we were like, okay. So we signed him up. And while we were talking about it, the other two, um, our older son and Maddie, they, they said, hey, we want to do it too. I'm, I'm, I'm a very transparent person. Two reasons they wanted to do it. Number one, it was going to bring things back to normal. They were sick of wearing masks, sick of, you know, quarantine and all that. Number one. Number two, I mean, there was, for a kid, it's like a lot of money. <laughs> but for an adult, it was like nothing. And compared to everything that you go through, it's a joke. But for them, you know, all of them at the time weren't old enough to even be working at the time because Maddie was 12. Um, Lucas, the next, he was 
13, I think, at the time, and our oldest was 15. Um, so they were like, okay, you're going to get, there's potential they'll get the vaccine early, they'll be helping, we can all go back to normal. Um, my kids have never been in a clinical trial ever in our life. The only reason that we even didn't think twice about signing them up for this one is our friend had had the vaccine. She had been unblinded by the time the kids were put into it. Um, and she was totally fine. She had gotten the vaccine. She put her son in it. So it's like, and all of the, their friends were in it. I really was not worried. I didn't think in a million years that anything would happen. So, and we'd never, to our knowledge, had any issues with vaccines before. So um, that was December 30th. All three got their first dose. And uh, so that's how they signed up. And on the point of vaccines, what were your, what was your family's stance to vaccines before COVID, before the pandemic happened? We got every vaccine. We got the flu shot every year. Oh, never questioned it. Never. I, I, I didn't. I mean, you hear about people that didn't want a vaccine, you know, get their kids vaccines. And for me, I'm like, okay, that's fine. I, like, that didn't matter to me. If my kids were vaccinated and theirs weren't, you know, supposedly my kids are protected. I didn't care. Like, it's their choice. I mean, and in retrospect, I realized my kids did have reactions to the vaccine, but you never correlate that um, because it's just not a thing. Like, they don't even, you don't talk about it. It's like, it doesn't even register in your head. So, yeah. And anyone who tries to, you know, claim that there may be some correlation, they're dismissed as an anti-vaxxer or someone who's just, you know, and, yes. Jenny McCarthy-ish. Anti-vax, anti-vaxxers don't get their kids vaccinated. Just, I mean, there are people that are anti-vaxxing. That is, I don't care. That's their choice. But they don't get their kids vaccinated. <laughs> so if you have a reaction to a vaccine... You aren't anti-vax because you got your kids vaccinated. You're not anti-vax if you put your kids in a trial. You can't be. <laughs> yeah, that's such an important point. So, um, so talk to me about what happened after that first dose in December. So when they got their first dose in December, um, Maddie... Uh, nobody had any severe reactions. Gabe did end up getting COVID. Um, I had COVID at the time. The other two were tested multiple times and did not test positive. So um, the oldest, he did get, um, when he got the vaccine, he, he did get sick. But it's, I mean, it was a combination of, you know, if you get the vaccine while you have COVID, then that's not really a great thing. Um, when they did the trial, they test them for COVID, but they don't wait for the results to come back before they give them the vaccination. So I didn't find out until like the next day that I had COVID because all of a sudden I lost, I had no other normal symptoms. I didn't know I had it. Um, and once I lost my um, taste and smell, that was my first sign that I was like, oh, that's not normal. Um, and went and got tested, still not thinking I had it, but I did. So then we had all the kids tested even on top of them being tested at the trial. Um, and both, yep, Gabe had it, the other two didn't. So people always question, well, maybe they did. Well, they were tested multiple times, so. Hmm. And so how did Gabe uh, deal with his COVID sickness, and how did you deal with it? Gabe was sick for um, at least two months. Like, he was in and out of school. Um, so, yeah, he reacted. He did not get the second dose. He actually did get, get the actual vaccine. 
um, that first time. Um, the, or my middle son, the one that's 16 now, he was either 13 or 14 at the time. He, um, he had no reaction to any of them. He ended up getting the placebo. Maddie, with the first dose, she um, had like her arm swelled up. She had a fever. She had the normal reaction. Like she didn't feel great, but it wasn't like, I mean, she was over it within a day. It, she was totally fine. She was quarantined, so she didn't go to school. <laughs> so, um, but I, at the time, you know, we were, I was, they were, everybody was stuck at home. Only two of us, though, had COVID. Um, I did react to COVID. Like, I didn't have, my, my reaction was more that after my, it was an immune reaction. Like, it was like after, way after having the, um, getting COVID. Like, I didn't have respiratory problems or anything like that. My problems ended up losing taste and smell. Like having no energy, not um, being able to, like I had severe pain in my legs. Like it was, none of it was like the normal cold. Like I didn't have any of that, any of those symptoms. It was all my body reacting, probably overreacting to it. Yes. Um, so the second dose only then Lucas and Maddie got. And obviously, Lucas had no reaction with the second one. We pretty much knew <laughs> at that point that he had gotten the placebo. And then um, Maddie, the first thing she said when she got it, so it was late in the day, it was after school. And she said, man, my, my arm hurt way more than the first time. So she like something, she had pain in her arm immediately and um, came home. It was actually my oldest son's 16th birthday that night so we did our small celebration quarantines i mean it's like that was when you couldn't hang it still it was so so about a month after the first one okay right. gotcha yes yep and you're saying everything a little still... less than a month uh-huh she uh, she was fine well in the middle of the night so she got the they got the vaccine probably around like let's just say five and in the middle of the night like around midnight she came into our room and said i something's wrong. I just don't, I don't feel right. Can I sleep with you? And that's like, she doesn't never does that ever, even when she's sick. But I was like, okay, you know, didn't think I was half awake. She slept in between us, which was even weird, more weird. Um, and then when she woke up in the morning, we're like, Hey, you don't need to go to school. Um, you know, because we knew that she could, you know, you could feel like feel not great the next day, but she doesn't like to miss school. She doesn't like to have to make up work. So she's said i want to go and we're like okay so somehow she made it through school i don't even know how um i don't i'll never do justice there's been one time that she did an interview where she because she's done very few interviews where she explained the progression throughout the day where it's like she started feeling the 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 sharp pains and the dizziness and saying i could barely keep my head up and like just I don't know. It just progressed through the day. By the time she got home, she dropped her bag and lost it in my husband's office. Um, he called me, well, he called the trial line because that's what you're supposed to do is call. If, if they have anything that's beyond what can be logged in the app, and the only thing that can be logged in the app is like the typical symptoms, like um, a fever, if you have muscle, you know, muscle aches and pain. Um, if your arm swells, 
and then you just kind of rate it. Is it mild, moderate, severe? And you're, and and you're talking severe, about... Did you have to go to the hospital? Sorry to cut you off, but uh, you're talking about the mm-hmm. um, Pfizer trial app? Is that what it was? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Yep. 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 So it, there's no way in there, like, there, I mean, it's just looking for those those symptoms that, like, are the ones that they've disclosed, like, from the beginning. These are the things that could happen. Basically you know, the mild symptoms of COVID. So if anything happens, you're supposed to call the trial line. And at this point, we were pretty calm. My husband's in the medical field, you know, like he was monitoring, like, to make sure, like, that, like she was getting oxygen and everything like that. Um, so he called in and they said, okay, we you know, they called back. We want you to take her to the ER. Um, and they strongly suggested that we take her to Cincinnati Children's so that the principal investigator would have access to her charts and be able to communicate with the doctors. So we drove, even though it was further away, we took her to Cincinnati Children's. Prior to that, my husband had called me, like after he called them, he called me at the, at I was working at school and, and I hear my daughter in the background after he's like, hey, I think Maddie had a reaction to the vaccine. He's like, I already called the trial line, calling right back. And then I hear in the back going, mom, mom, my heart, my heart, my heart feels like it's being ripped out through my, my neck, like clearly chest pain. Um, so I immediately I left, came home. And by the time I came home, the, the trial, that, that's when they had called and said to take her to the ER. She had severe, so she had like these electrical, like, I don't know, jolts up and down her spine. Her fingers were white and her toes were white. If you touched them, they were literally ice cold. Um, She couldn't feel her arm that she got the vaccine in at all. She had severe pain near her appendix and ovaries. So the one thing that they told us to bring her to the ER was to check for appendicitis. Um, if you notice, one of the things in the EUA that they released is that somebody had an appendicitis after getting the vaccine, um, but she ended up not having that. Um, she had a fever. And she was dizzy. She walked hunched over because her back was in such pain, her neck. Um, it's like, I, I don't even, I've never in my entire life seen any reaction like that with her. Or anyone, ever. Now I've heard the exact same story from thousands and thousands of people that have had reactions. It's all the same. That's so tough. So, and fast forward, when she got her second dose, we can just say between her second dose and now, she has been to the ER 11 times and hospitalized four times. And it's been about, what, 17 months or so? Yes. So, I, I lose track so it's july yeah yeah six so 18 months wow so let's let's go back to you know the the aftermath of you know her first er visit you know how long was she in there what were what was the communications between you and her doctors at cincinnati children's and then specifically with the trial line um, for the pfizer trials so when so they sent her back home after the er they gave her they gave her an IV and they gave her pain medication. I think it was Toradol or something like that. And they gave her Zofran for the nausea. I think that was it. And they did a renal profile 
They did an ultrasound of her to see if she had an appendicitis, but she didn't. Um, her renal profile was nor- like pretty borderline normal, but nothing of concern. The one thing that they did do a urinalysis, and she did have blood in her urine that very that day, um, and she continued to have blood in her urine. I think they checked it seven times, seven or eight times between then and July. Every single time, there's blood in her urine, including when she. They kept trying to blame it on her period, and I'm like, what? What? She hasn't had her period every single time. Number one, um, and how can we rule that out? They said, well, if we do a catheter, I said, then fine, do it with a catheter, and it still had blood in her urine. So they never did anything about that. And there's many people that have had blood in their urine from the vaccine that have had reactions. Like when I say blood, it was like, I mean, some you can visually see, but I mean, hers, it was like it showed up on the tests on the urinalysis. And who were you speaking with at this time? Was it the ER doctors? Cause wasn't the, um, cause the, mm-hmm. the lead reporter, or sorry, the lead researcher on the, uh, the trial was also at Cincinnati Children's at this time. Is that correct? Okay. Right. Right. So that's, and he Uh still is, and he's still running the trials. So it's Dr. Robert Frank. Um, We had communicated with him and the nurses um, through the trial the entire time. We have email, an email chain, plus, I mean, there were phone calls. And there's notes in her record of him communicating with the doctors throughout all of this. So, yeah, He, he was well aware of everything going on. He also is making the calls on what tests to do and not to do um, on Maddie. Interesting. And, and what? There, that, that I know, it's, it's like written in her, we requested her official yeah. transcript, and it's literally in, I mean, it says it in there. Were there specific tests that you think, you know, were not performed that should have been? So she didn't have an MRI of her spine until March. Um. 12th i believe it was which was the day before the data cut off and she was in the hospital at the time um so it was the day before the data cut off for the um trial that was the first time they even did an mri um they never did a spinal tap they never did like she's since had an emg never did an emg like because she had lost all feeling from her waist down never never did an emg not one nope um, never did a skin punch biopsy. She just had one done um, th- like a month ago that we went to a different doctor. So, I mean, they d- they didn't do a lot of things that they should have done. Any test that I know of, like those are the things that I know would have showed something, but they only show something like while you're inflamed or bad. They never did any um, tests. She saw an allergist and immunologist at Cincinnati Children's. They didn't do one test, zero. And it is all because Dr. Frank said that there there was no need for it. Mind you, she's got rashes all over her body, all kinds of reactions happening. And and I mean what it what it, what happened to her was a mass cell. I mean, it was that's what it was. They knew something would show up. They did zero tests. So anything that would have showed something, they didn't do. And you mentioned one of those tests was scheduled for the day before the the trial cut off. Do you think that was done intentionally, or is that possible? Um, yeah. I don't know. I I just find it very coincidental. Um, I also find it very coincidental that they gave her a diagnosis of functional neurologic disorder, 
the day before they submitted the EUA for approval, which was on um, April 9th. And Maddie was in the hospital at the time that they submitted that EUA. It was put into our charts on April 8th by a psychologist, psychiatrist from Cincinnati Children's who was a nurse, like he's a nurse, I forget what the title is. That was a psychiatrist, nurse, whatever that title is, that had seen her two times via a virtual visit. That's it. And in his notes, he put that he collaborated with the principal investigator, and those are his words, collaborated. You don't collaborate. No, that's not what you, no, you don't do that. There's no collaborating. Um, he, by the way, I tried to get the functional neurologic disorder removed from her charts. He's no longer at Cincinnati Children's. He was there for about a year. He was, he left and works for, it's like an affiliate of Cincinnati Children's. It's Lunar Center of Hope. So they have an adult, like he's in the adult one. They also have a children's, um, like wing where they actually also tried to send Maddie to after her month and a half, um, inpatient rehabilitation, like physical rehabilitation where they're not, what they did didn't work. So their next step was, okay, it's psychiatric. So, yeah. Are you able to disclose his name? I'm happy to give any names. Brian Brentis. I don't want to say his name wrong. There it is. Brian, B-E-R-E-N-D-T-S, psychiatric nurse practitioner. I'm on LinkedIn. Yeah. You can look him up. He started at Lindner January 2022. He was at Cincinnati Children's from July 2020 until January 2020. So he'd only been with Cincinnati Children's for a couple months. Never worked with pediatric patients before that. If you look at him, he's also. Um, his past is um, a senior, he was a clinical research coordinator. So he worked in mm-hmm, research mm-hmm. trials. Yeah. So. Do you, do you yep. think that he or Dr. Frank could have been receiving ongoing compensation from any pharmaceutical companies during this time? I mean, I have no proof mm-hmm. of it, so I can't say that. I can say that I, I mean, I know that the pharmaceutical companies control a lot of places i mean they're funding for the re- they're getting a lot of money for the research for the trials i mean they're getting a lot of money the hospital is yeah i don't know specific i like i can't i i don't like to speak things i don't know facts about but i do know the hospital is getting a ton of it i can tell you they're not giving a whole heck of a lot of money to the people that are volunteering their lives for it nor are they paying for things we had to get a lawyer involved to pay for the stuff that our insurance did not pay for with Cincinnati Children's. They did not voluntarily just pay for it. They did after we got a lawyer involved. Mm-hmm. We can't sue them. And can you talk about why you can't sue them? Because it's again, like there's a law. Yeah. I mean, they're protected by the government. It. I mean, no matter if anybody is injured, they do. They're not held liable. I mean, you have to file something through the government and for the COVID vaccine, it's like, it's like the one that they have for regular vaccines is crappy and barely anybody gets approved. 
Well, the one that they have for the COVID vaccine is even, it's, it's separate from that. And like, I, I don't know of anybody in the U.S. that's gotten approval. I mean, it's... Just... To get compensated. And trust me, we're like, we were debt-free, like paid our credit cards off every month. We had our mortgage and one car payment. That was it. That is not the case anymore. Like we have gone, I mean, we have credit card debt now and it's all because of trying to get our daughter help. I mean. And lost income and things like that. Like people don't have no clue. I mean, we took her to Oregon to get treatment for, we were there three and a half months. Well, me and my daughter, we went, my husband stayed in with the boys at her house because they were in school and he had to work. My school was very awesome and gave me a leave of absence. So we just got back from there. Yeah. And we've since saw another doctor. So they, they have gotten her. I mean, she's, she's improved, but not, she's not better. So she, she did just get approved for IVIG. And what is IVIG? Intravenous immunoglobin. Essentially, it's your. I mean, your immune system, with everybody that's having react reactions to this, your immune system's overreacting. It's attacking your body, yourself. So it's it hasn't worked for everyone, but I would say, I don't know. I, I can't give a specific percentage, but I like a huge percentage of people have, it has made a huge jump in terms of recovery. And it, I mean, IVIG is nothing new. It's nothing new. This has been around forever. It's resetting your immune system because, yeah. So I want to go back to what we were talking about, or at least the, rather the timeline in those couple months between when she got her second dose, she got very injured, and then the trial cutoff date. And so, I mean, just from an outsider's perspective, it's it sounds to me like what happened was she got incredibly injured and instead of reporting it the way they should have, they tried to blame it on a neurological disorder and then even send her to a, a, a psychological mm -hmm. facility. They, yeah. I mean, and they've done this to like most people, they're saying it's functional neurologic disorder and that it's like, it's, it's psychological. Um, but so Maddie was in, so the third hospital stay that she had, she was in inpatient rehabilitation for a month and a half. She was there from April 9th until June 1st. They told us she would be there two weeks and they would have her walking and eating in two weeks. She left there. And when she left there, she was able to, if you want to call it walk, with a um, uh, a walker, her leg, it was like she had still had an abnormal gait. So her leg would drag and her legs would shake. If she let go of the walker, she would fall to the ground because she had pots like her, like she would, she was dizzy. It's kind of like if you're on a boat this is the way it's been explained to me. You know what I mean? If you hold on to something, you're okay. Like if it's really rocking or honestly, if you're like, I think about those and those goggles, you know, the drunk goggles. Have you ever seen that with the kids do them? I mean, like kids are like all like they fall to the ground. They can barely make it a couple steps and they fall. It that's how she felt. She actually compared it to because in fifth grade, 
they put those goggles on part of part of the you know for DUI to teach them um, about drinking and how it can affect you. Like she knew how those goggles felt, and that's how she felt. Her vision's affected. She she can't swallow. She has an NG tube still. So she left there with zero progress on the swallowing and eating. Zero. So they made no progress there. And when did she leave? That ho- She left June 1st, and that's when they tried to... They had us convinced that they could help her at the... the um, at Lunar Center of Hope, the psychiatric, like children's psych ward. Um, they had said that they had helped other kids. Like, I guess there was a child that had... Um, choked on something and had like couldn't swallow and they kept comparing her to that um it i we went for the admission they wanted her to squat on the floor to make sure that she wasn't hiding anything to like check her private parts <laughs> to make sure she she came straight from the hospital in an ambulance she could not stand and squat <laughs> like just and then there were kids there was like stuff banging outside kids were like up against the walls like and i'm not making like i mean there's kids that have psychiatric problems and honestly i that a lot of them i think it's because of things i mean my eyes have been opened that how like strep can like having strep throat the that virus i mean it can affect you mentally if it's not treated like there's so many things that i honestly i don't even believe anymore like I don't know. A lot of these things that happen to kids that make them psychiatric patients are things that could have been addressed without giving them drugs, which is what they do. They drug them. And they tried to do that to Maddie. I mean, they put her on Lexapro. They put her on gabapentin, like strong like medicines that have severe side effects. Gabapentin, Lyrica, Compazine. Like, all of those things made her either have seizures or, like, she was crazy. they give her tics. She'd swear. She'd, like, not be her. As soon as we'd take, them off of, take her off of them, she'd be fine. And this, she's not the only one. Like, it, I don't know. For some reason, it's like a lot of these kids. It's affecting them in that way. I don't know why. I mean, there's stories all over. If you search hard enough. Because I talk to these parents. I mean, I, I, I do. It's like their bodies react to everything. Maddie reacted to the... So she had the two MRIs. They use contrast in both of them. And she apparently can't detox. She, she didn't detox the contrast. And it gave her... It made her worse. It gave, gave her even more <laughs> neurologic issues. So the first thing I tell parents is you don't need contrast if they are doing an MRI. The MRI is not going to show anything anyway, so don't get contrast. It's going to make your kid, there's a high probability it'll make them worse. Like their gadolinium is bad. It is, you should not have it unless you absolutely need it. And I had no clue. There was no informed consent for that. At all. So they gave it to her without even asking your permission? They just said that, they're no, they sign it, but they're like, here, sign here. This is for the gadolinium. There's no, like, I don't know. They don't know. tell you what it parent, is. Like, yeah. 
no, they don't. And it's like these things are in tiny writing. You're like worried about your kid. And I mean, now I read everything, but I didn't before. And I'm not the only parent. You just trust what they're telling you. You do. They're like, oh, it's no big deal. This is just for the, you know, you have to sign one. Like you sign something for, they'll be like, here, this is just sign for the anesthesia. This is just sign for the contrast. This is, you know. And it's on an iPad. Well, and I think as you talk about trust, right, I think most Americans, you know, at least prior to the pandemic, were under the assumption that what they were doing was trusting a doctor who they were talking to, who, you know, went to medical school to heal people and not that they were trusting whatever the pharmaceutical companies were pushing that day. And I honestly, I I don't put blame on these doctors because I think it's what they're told. You know, I, I don't know. It's what they're trained and told. Because there's only so much information anybody's brain can retain. So if you're told this is safe, that's what you're going to tell. I don't know. You trust the experts. Like the nurses that have you sign that, they're not the experts. They're not. So let's talk about, um, you know, you mentioned the... uh the EUA report, and could you talk a little bit more about, you know, what that is? The emergency, so it's the emergency approval. So whenever um, Pfizer submitted, so I I know more about the the one for the kids, the 12 to 15 year olds, it was on April 9th, they submitted it to the FDA. Um, And in there, all they had for Maddie was funk like I knew exactly where she was. Like I knew the symptoms, I knew everything. It was um she was the one with functional abdominal pain and paresthesia, so pins and needles. Um that's all they reported in there for Maddie. So she's in there at least that there was a reaction. And they had and it had said it in there that it was still investigating. So not admitting that it was a reaction to the vaccine, but not saying it wasn't. Um, so that whenever they submit the, the, the emergency approval, um, to the FDA, it's, they have a whole meeting and I mean, people can speak, I think in the beginning, like when that was done, there weren't a whole lot of people speaking as time went on when they, um, with the FDA, like you can, I don't think people even realize this, like anybody can call and like give their testimony, like their opinion, not that they listened to it. <laughs> um, so like after that, or there's like tons of doctors. I mean, there, there, there's people like we knew that spoke. I, I was just, I mean, I was focused on Maddie. So I gave permission to other people to speak on behalf of Maddie. It still didn't change it. So even like when they did the one with the kids for um, like, um, what is it? Uh, age group so 12 the 5 to 11 i think it was and then with the babies which is insane to me that they're even doing this it's insane could you talk more about that yeah i i I mean so i'm not going to deny that covid can't kill people but the majority of the people if they would have treated them and i know because i got covid twice the first time i took nothing and i was like, I didn't have, like I said, the typical reaction. The second time, I was in bad shape, and I did take, I took ivermectin, and it, and my husband got it, too, and gave it to him, and, like, it, like, 
turned it around. It's like early treatment. My mom got COVID. And by the grace of God, the doctor that she went to at like one of those clinics gave her um, steroids. She recovered before I did and um, my son did. And she's like 70 something. She's almost 80. And she couldn't breathe. So like if they just would have treated people, it, it wouldn't have gotten to that point. We didn't need a vaccine. We didn't. Like people, like I got it more than once, but you can get the flu more than once. You can get the flu even if you get the freaking flu shot. You know what I mean? It, it, they just made it worse with the vaccine. And they have, there are like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that have been affected by this vaccine. And the things that are helping them are not pharmaceutical medication. Very few things. There, there are a few like pharmaceutical medications that have been around for like, they're nothing new <laughs> that, that do help or helping people. The ivermectin, the low dose naltrexone, um, the, I forget what the other one is. Hydrochloroquine. Yes. Yes. That isn't, hel- I, I don't know of anybody that's taking that that's been vaccine injured, but the other two are helping vaccine injured. A lot of it is vitamins. It's like, for some reason, it like it depletes vitamin. It like screws you up. It screws your whole body up. But a lot of it, it's where we have had success with Maddie was with vitamins and supplements. That's what's helped her. Not anything pharmaceutical. Everything that they did at the hospital made her worse. Everything. They also gave her a formula that she had um allergy like they never did um allergy testing she's allergic she was on cape for cape farms formula she's allergic to um spinach and kale two big ingredients in cape farms formula no wonder she kept getting sick so we switched her to um Elicare junior and she got even sicker and this is just bad luck i guess um her every um can of that formula when we switched her was part of that recall with um, Similac. You know how they did the recall? So Similac, they manufactured the Elicator Junior. She ended up in the hospital again because of it. But it was prior to them knowing about the recall. So, yeah. I mean, that messed her up, though. I mean, that her liver was not functioning, her kidneys by the time we went to Oregon. Like nothing was working on her. She had was blown up, like with water weight. Like her body was not getting rid of anything. It was bad. Like it was just staying in her because she has urinary retention. Like her body, her her kidneys aren't working correctly. And you know, you talked about earlier where they were trying to deny that she had blood in her urine and all, all these, you know, crazy. Well, they couldn't deny it. They just dismissed it. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to get to the point of, you know, medical gaslighting. And it's just, it's strange to me that they would both dismiss her actual symptoms yet continue to prescribe these very heavy, heavily toxic pharmaceuticals to her throughout that whole process. Well, the pharmaceutical, like the gabapentin and the Lyrica are medications that they give to people with fibromyalgia, like all these like things that you can be diagnosed for that's like, we don't know what's going on with you. 
um, and that's what they give them. But they have like ser- they do have serious side effects, and to give it to a twelve year old is not okay. Like it, it's not. Um, and the Lexapro, so she's off of all of those. And once we took her off of all those things, I mean, it, it made her better. The um, the Miralax, I think it's Miralax peg. Um, nobody ever bothered to test to see if she's allergic to that. There's PEG, in, by the way, in um, the, the, the Pfizer vaccine. There's PEG. There's PEG in the gadolinium. There's PEG in the, um, the Miralax that they gave her, which is how they do the bowel cleanouts. There's all kinds of neurologic... Like, when, like, when nobody's helping you and you're a parent, you Google. And you find all these things out that there's all these like who would have thought that with something that's supposed to help you go to the bathroom that there'd be neurologic issues from it. Well, if your body's allergic to it, there's gonna be. <laughs> Nobody ever bothered to check any of that. All they did was focus on the psychological. She had no psychological issues prior to this. Why did it happen in less than 24 hours? And so after the trial cutoff date, were you able to have any ongoing communications directly with the group that did the trial or Pfizer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Still to this day, because she got COVID. So we logged that she had COVID. They called us. Then she got some fever. So like if you get the only thing they're monitoring is if you have a fever, like basically COVID symptoms every week you that you log that. So she's, you know, when she had those things happen, they call you. So we talk to them, and every time I remind them, still in a wheelchair, I I also send them emails. I send them information from, like, other people that have been injured. I send them documents from the NIH that admits that there's, you know, there's, I don't know if you saw the study with the NIH. I can send you a link to it. Um, So. The NIH was studying one of the people that we know, Brianne Dressen. She was in the AstraZeneca trial, and she had a severe reaction. And her husband works for the um, government. Um, They were able to get in contact with the NIH, and they started a study with her, and I think it was like, I don't know, maybe 20 people. I I don't remember the exact number. she had reached out to me while Maddie was in the hospital and um, during her inpatient re- rehabilitation um, because my Maddie's story went viral by accident. Um, I posted on Facebook asking for prayers. My uncle asked me if I could make it public so that he could share it with his church so they could pray and be able to see her and understand, you know, so that mm-hmm. they could pray properly. So I was like, okay, whatever. So I did it. And it went viral the next day. So she found out about this, reached out to me through Facebook Messenger and connected us with the, the, the doctor, the, Dr. Nath, which was doing this trial um, through the NIH on vaccine-injured people, one of which was free. And the treatment was that they were doing with them was IVIG. Mm. He spoke to Maddie's neurologist told him the tests to do, um, and a bunch of them came back abnormal. Um, 
and he at one point I'm and I'm jumping all over the place. It's just like you you think of one thing and then actually mm-hmm. I apologize mm-hmm. for no that. Problem. Um, no problem. But he um he he at one point had said, you know, I I really the more and more I see, the less I think this is functional neurologic disorder. Um and then all of a sudden out of the blue, and it was around the time when communication stopped with Brie from Dr. Nath, we got a message, not even like a call, a message through my chart from the neurologist saying it's functional neurologic disorder, continue with um, cognitive behavioral therapy and physical therapy out of the blue. No explanation. After having completely different conversations with him, I have emails too where the Dr. Nath had said, You should assume that this is a reaction, and we highly recommend IVIG. They never did it. She's since been diagnosed with CIPD. That was just with the doctor that we saw in June. And what's CIPD? Chronic. Um, it's with your nerves. Let me tell you the, I don't want to, I just, it's easier to remember. Um, chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy. So it's, it's your nerves being damaged. The cells, they can be repaired. That's what the IVIG helps with. I mean, there's other things that are natural but i mean when you've not done something like because she's like the sooner you do something to repair the damage the quicker you recover just like these kids with mis c so the multiple inflammatory misc um it's with the kids they're getting it from covid do you know what i'm talking about myocarditis no that's that's part of what can happen with MISC. Uh-huh. Okay. It's multi-system inflammatory syndrome. The treatment for that, and it's basically, it's a condition where different body parts can become inflamed, including the heart, lungs, kidneys, brain, skin, eyes, or gastrointestinal organs. So this is something that they keep talking about that can happen from COVID to kids. Well, it can happen from the vaccine. That's what happened to Maddie. What you treat it with is IVIG and steroids. If they would have, we have a neighbor that this happened to from COVID. He was treated right away. He's totally fine. They did not treat Maddie, so it continued to do damage. And we brought this up with in the ER, and they laughed at us. But that's basically what's happening. It's that's what's happening. You can call. There's so many different names for what's happening. Which is why it can be so confusing. <laughs> but it's it's destroying your cells. It is. That's what it's doing. And it can and, and when you destroy these cells, it can destroy I mean, especially the gut is where it all starts. Then it can affect your heart. It can affect your kidneys. It can affect everything that was affected on her. But it can be fixed. It's just with the right treatment, which is not drugs that make it worse. Yeah. And, and sorry to cut you off, but just want to make sure I'm, I'm getting the kind of 
order straight. So you did this second trial with NIH, your doctor in that study had reached out to you proactively and thought that, you know, Maddie did not have this neurological functional disease. You're likely going to be able to get this treatment that she desperately needed. And then all of a sudden you get this, you know, personality-less message from the NIH saying, just kidding, she has neurological no, no. functional. Okay. No. So Maddie, they wouldn't see Maddie because she was a child. So understand that when they were doing this study, it was all adults. Maddie was the only kid because she was in the trial. No kids had gotten it at this point. Hmm. So Got that it. doctor that did the, was doing the study, like Brianne Dressen connected us with him. He he offered I have emails. There's if you you can Google it if you Google the right way, you can see the emails because I've shared these. He um, volunteered to talk to her neurologist. He said, "I can't." I can't bring her out here. She's a child. We don't do children. But we've seen this happening with adults. And so he talked to Maddie's neurologist from Cincinnati Children's and told him what tests to do. So basically he was sharing information. Gotcha. And he told him that you should believe that she is having a reaction and that he highly recommends IVIG. And was this also Dr. Frank at Cincinnati Children's that he was corresponding with? No, this was the neurologist. Dr. Gotcha. Frank is, is the principal investigator. He's supposed to be the advocate. I mean, we have audio of him where when it was right after. So it was when they were unblinding um, everybody in the trial because the reason they unblinded everybody is if you didn't get the vaccine, they wanted people to be able to get it. Mm -hmm. um, so we had a call with him. It was about that and about the, the hospital bills. And she was in the hospital at the time, like I said, when they approved this. And he's like, so how's Maddie doing? Like, we, we, like whenever we would go in for her appointments, they would take us to the other end of the hospital away from everybody else. Okay. Mm -hmm. In a separate room. Like, they're hiding her. It was clear. Like, the first time that it happened when she went in when she was sick, the kids were like, this is not where they normally take us. Like, they took us, like, way far away, and Maddie could barely walk. Yeah. And now when we go in, nobody's ever there. It's only just us. Nobody else is in there. No other patients. And when you would go in there in the beginning, there would be kids everywhere. Like, it was like a zoo. Yeah. Only us. Oh, yeah. And so could you talk a little bit more about what is the NIH for folks who may not be familiar? The National Institute of Health. So, I mean, they're the ones that are supposed to be like the experts. <laughs> I, I don't know. What do you want me to? Well, I guess, uh, I guess, yeah. So I'm just curious to get your thoughts on, you know, do you think that they've been doing, been upholding the responsibilities. And, and, you know, maybe this is more no. broadly for the FDA, no. the CDC as well. No, they have not. I've talked to the FDA once and they committed to letting me know what was reported on for Maddie's um, side effects. And they never gave me that information. The CDC, the FDA, they're not doing their job. They're hiding things. They are. So is the NIH. That's where Fauci works. And do you think Fauci's done his job? No, I think he's the devil. I'm sorry, I can't put it any other way. 
I, I really can't. Yeah. Like I literally think he's the devil. And I, uh, I can't say I disagree with you. You know, I've been reading Bobby Kennedy's book, uh, which I think is called the real Anthony Fauci. And for anyone who hasn't heard of it or hasn't read it, please go out and check out this book. It's damning. There's no other way to say it. So throughout all this, I've met a lot of people who have had other kids injured by different vaccines. And I don't remember the vaccine that their child was injured by, but this mother, and I talked to her for probably like three hours, um, they fought and they had this whole like investigation. And she said, she's like, this is way like probably when I was a kid sat across from Fauci and she's like, I knew he was evil. So back then, yeah, people are money is the root of all evil. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Let's let's talk about that some more. I'd love to talk about both the money that's flown to the pharmaceutical companies through this pandemic and the money that you have not received from insurance companies to pay for Maddie's medical bills. So our insurance has covered what it's supposed to. Like it it can't not cover like like the stuff that's within network. What it won't cover is the doctors that actually can help vaccine injured which are the functional medical doctors the homeopathic like they can early on help so it like a lot of these doctors if you want to be able to actually tell the truth and do the right thing you can't you're not in network i'm sorry that's how it is i mean there's doctors that aren't even homeopathic and i'm not going to say one thing i won't say just because i'm afraid something will happen but the doctor that we saw um, that gave her the CIPD diagnosis is was not in network. Now we can submit it to insurance, but we had to pay out of pocket. He works with insurance. He knows what he's doing. He does all the tests, but because he's not controlled by insurance in the pharmaceutical, he can do things quicker and the right way. He does all the tests, same tests, a lot of them are done through through hospitals. So, yeah. I, I don't know. There's control over insurance. And I, I just, I, it's hard even for me to wrap my head around it, to be honest with you. And I don't think it's the people that like the frontline people working at the insurance. They're not the bad people. They're not. It's way up in the chain. Same with the hospitals. I honestly, I, we've been to hospitals, so we switched. We stopped going, and I won't say where. We went to another local children's hospital, and I had nurses come up to me, and they're like, you don't even know how many children have come in here with unexplained seizures and all these other things. There's one nurse that recognized who Maddie was because she's, knows what's going on. Cincinnati Children's mandates everybody have the vaccine. There are other hospitals that do not. The ones where they'll speak, but you can tell they're afraid and they're hesitant to talk, but that's why I'm not mentioning names. Yeah. I just, I'll protect who's good. I won't protect who's not good. Yeah. I mean, it's just... 
your story, I hope, is ringing alarm bells for listeners for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is, you know, this is the most significant global pandemic we've lived through globally in our lifetime. And mm-hmm. frontline workers are afraid to speak out and speak the mm-hmm. truth. They'll lose their job. They will. They'll lo- they, they will. They'll lose their license if they're a doctor. They'll lose it. You can't, they can't even put in the charts that it's from the vaccine. Like very few people have that written in. We do have, have, we have that diagnosis from Maddie's first hospital visit, an ER visit. But I mean, people that this is happening to, like after it was approved, the emergency approval, you'll, very few people have it in there. If it was, it, it seems like with like Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca, they'll actually put it in the charts. But if it's Pfizer, why do you think that could be? Because they're more powerful. How many people do you think have been vaccinated with Pfizer versus Johnson and Johnson? Yeah, that's a good point. What commercials do you see all the time? Pfizer or Johnson and Johnson? I'm not saying that pharmaceutical companies don't make money if people get better. Pharmaceutical companies make money if people get better from one thing and then have a problem from another. I mean, literally, if you made everybody better, then you don't need them, right? I think that's what we are seeing more clearly by the day is that we've never really had true health care in this country. We've had institutionalized mm-hmm. sick care. It's everywhere. <laughs> at, at, at best. I mean, you, you listen to Maddie's story. It's, it's worse, right? All mm-hmm. of these supposed treatments made her far, far worse. Yes. But there's always, you always, like, there's always side effects from medicine, and you just accept that. I remember, so prior to all this, I had a guy that worked for me um, in my world before I, I actually worked in manufacturing, and Pfizer was a customer. So I know about, and I should have known better, I know everything that goes into the CFR 21, Part 11, like where you have to document everything to make sure that there's like the exact like ingredients and things like it's very regulated supposedly and i always thought how how did they like get that line up but i like in my head it's like i just wanted a solution to the problem so i kind of like i i tucked away my common sense i think just you know back to pharmaceutical companies do you think that bill gates's involvement in this pandemic was altruistic or were there financial incentives for him as well Oh, 100% financial incentives, no doubt. Yeah, I don't even know why he has a say in any of this. He's not a doctor. Well, and at the same time, right, the folks who are doctors who helped develop this, like Dr. Robert Malone and you know, right. folks like Dr. Peter McCullough, mm-hmm. who are seeing frontline patients, are being mm-hmm. silenced everywhere. Right, because they're telling the truth. Has it been hard for you to tell your story and Maddie's story? Yes. It's censored everywhere. I have to be careful about what I put on my Facebook. I mean, Twitter, everything. I mean, we've been censored. Stuff has been taken down multiple times just from telling the truth. Yeah. I always start everything now with, this is my story, my daughter's story. (laughs) One thing I will say is, I mean, there's a couple nasty people out there. There's less people that attack me because I think it was a child. There is the one person from NBC who did. And there's others, I guess, but it's 
I, I feel like I've had, uh, there's lots of censoring, but there's been less of the malicious attacks, I should say, like publicly on Maddie's story versus other people that are adults that this has happened to. Yeah. The NBC person, and I'm happy to call her out, is Brandy Zadrozny, Z-A-D-R-O-Z-N-Y. She wrote a whole article, basically, that Maddie's story wasn't real. There's no proof. The title of her article is, COVID vaccines for children are coming, so is misinformation. I'm, I'm misinformation. Maddie's misinformation. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's these are the news agencies that we're supposed to be looking to for the truth. They are paid for by Pfizer. Could you talk some more about that? I mean, what has this whole experience brought to light for you with regards to the pharmaceutical companies and the relationship with you know the news and media companies? They are providing, well, first of all, the pharmaceutical companies are the wealthiest, like they have money, especially Pfizer. I mean, I, I can speak because I, I research more about them. So the amount of funding that they're providing to these news agencies is more than any of anything else. So if they don't tell the right narrative, people are fired. It's all at the top. It's like, I don't even know if the people at the bottom even realize it. It's kind of what they're being told, but I know there's lots of people because I've talked to them because they come up to me at different events where they're like, I used to work for NBC, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I had to speak the truth and they leave. But there's very few people that do like when it's your livelihood and that's your entire career. And I think it's the same with doctors. It's like, I don't know. I'd like to think that I would do the right thing, but who knows? I don't know. When it's like, when you think about somebody, it's like, this is their career. This is all they know how to do. They have a standard of living that is taking care of their kids. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you speak up and leave? Or do you just kind of try to avoid the truth? I mean, certain... Like certain, not everybody in the news has to report on the COVID vaccine. You know what I mean? Do you do what you're being told? Is it that they just believe what they're being told? I don't know. I mean, I believed what I was being told before. So like, I I try to look at it that way. I can't imagine that there's that many evil people in this world. Um, The one that like totally trashed me and Maddie, she's evil. But most people... Honestly, they, they, they haven't. They've kind of left us alone. They don't report our story, but they don't write things that are discrediting. Like, there's very few things out there that is saying that Maddie's story isn't real. There, there really isn't. Well, that's good. And, and I really hope, you know, that we can continue to get her story out. And, you know, look, it's, it's, I know it's been hard and, and you've been censored, like you said, but it is getting out, you know, it got to me, it'll get to our listeners and, and hopefully, you know, not, not even hopefully, I just, I have conviction that in the long term the truth will rise to the, the surface and the people who are responsible for what's nothing more than corruption and organized crime will yeah. have to face the consequences. I agree. I've, all along, 
And like some days you have to convince yourself of that more than others. Um, I believe that that will happen and that my daughter will get better. I have thought that all along. And now, could you talk about your uh, testimony in front of, I believe it was uh, Congressman Ron Johnson? So there were two different um, things that we did um, with Senator Johnson. The first one was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and that was with Breanne Dressen is how I got, like, that's how I knew about this, like how I got brought in. Um, And I'll be like, that first time. So when we spoke in June, it was the end of June, June of 2021. That was the first time Maddie met other people because she was the only kid and we were in, you know, children's hospitals. Like it's the first time she met people that had the exact same reaction as her, that were struggling to walk, that were suffering just like she was. It was like, She's still friends with all of them. I am still friends with all of them. But Senator Johnson, um, he gave us a platform to talk. So I don't know if you know how that whole connection happened. Um, Ken Rutgers, do you know him? So he used to play for the Green Bay Packers, um, and his wife was severely injured. Um. So he had he, Green Bay Packers, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, like, football's huge there. So he had known, like, there's certain senators that you can, like, that, that have from the beginning, you know, kind of spoke up about, like, early treatment. Like, there, there's ones that were willing to speak about that. So it's like you, he, he knew that he believed that that was, really what we should be doing. So I don't know all the facts, but he reached out to him. Um, and that's how the whole press conference happened. The first one in June, um, which is where like the stories blew up. Like we didn't know what would happen. Like we were scared. We didn't know if people would attack. Like it was scary. It really was. That, and that was June of last year, 2021. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. And then we spoke again in, um, at the Senate building in, um, November, I believe it was, of 2021. And that time it was, there were more people telling their stories. Um, and we, I spoke more about what had happened with the trial, like how they were monitoring things, what you could report. Because um, I think people think that more information is being provided through this trial and that it's continuing and it, it really isn't it's not but he's been a huge advocate um he, very caring i mean like he genuinely cares and there's other senators out there that do as well but he's been the main one and he's been i mean he risked his whole career he did he's been attacked like m- massively he did not have to do this there's no benefit to him None. Zero. But he gave us a platform to speak. I mean, it's it's just so insane that it is career suicide for one of our politicians to not career suicide. I didn't say that, but just, no, it uh, is. You know, a, it is. <laughs> right. And, and, and he's, he's talking about vaccine injured children. Like what is going on in our country today? People will 
they put fear into everybody with this, the way that they did this with the whole pandemic. I mean, they isolated everybody. I, I remember being at school and they're like, they're shutting down the schools. I'm like, what? I'm like, they, I mean, what? <laughs> and going to the grocery store that night and we thought, oh, it's going to be two weeks. And then we have our kids, like, can't hang out with friends. It's like, and people had to work from home and people lost their, like, I, you know, people lost their job, like, weren't getting paid. Like, it was, they put, they isolated people, made them so they couldn't go out and have a life. Like, they made everybody sick. I mean, people were desperate. So you make people crazy. Like I said, I never would have ever put my kids in a trial for any pharmaceutical. But I did with this, partially because it's like, I don't know, it was the way out. And, and I felt like I had enough proof from other people that I knew what they were in the trial that I thought were fine. And some people are fine. But the thing is, they keep getting these boosters and more and more people are joining the groups that we're in. And the amazing thing is people will have reactions. And they'll be lucky enough to recover over a couple months, and then they go get a booster. Like, people aren't, like, they're brainwashed. They've been, had fear put into them about COVID. And that the people that are actually trying to help them, they've convinced them that they're crazy. Like, people are afraid to take ivermectin. Does it help everybody? Probably, no. Does it help the majority of the people? Yeah. I mean, that's just one thing. And it's something that's been around forever. I just, they made people crazy and desperate. Yep. And do you think that part of the reason that drugs like ivermectin and hydrochloroquine were not promoted is because they're out of patent? They're out of patent, they're cheap, and they would make you not need the vaccine. If you have early treatment, you don't need a vaccine. If you're not going to die, you don't need a vaccine. You don't. Do you happen to know how much the pharmaceutical companies get per injection? I don't. I, I am sure I can find that somewhere, but uh, and I'll include it in. Uh, I mean, in they the were paid. The episode. thing is, they were paid up front, and there was no backing out. You you know that. Like the U.S. bought like before they were even manufactured, but like, and Pfizer was the biggest. Now they're throwing out the vaccine. They're destroying them because nobody wants them. And and on that note, you know, even just taking a step back from this specific incident, instance, sorry, this specific pandemic, when you take a lot of government money that's been raised from taxpayer funds and give that to pharmaceutical companies, that is a redistribution of wealth from the American taxpayer to the folks who run for-profit pharmaceutical companies. There's no other economic way to ex explain what happened. I mean, they were paid before they even proved that it was good, that it worked, so that they could manufacture it. They were paid up front. And there were clauses where they could not, like, countries could not back out. And then you have legislation, at least in the U.S., that if you're, you know, injured from vaccines, you can't even go and, and sue the manufacturer. Nope. Yep. And they, so, the funny, like, and it's totally sidetracking. While I was in the hospital, like when Maddie's whole story went viral, I had these doctors from Israel reaching out to me through Facebook Messenger. 
because Israel is like the country that's leading the way, right? With all this. Like, these are the crazy things. Like, there are so many people throughout the world. It's not just the U.S. that knew what was going on. And for me, at that time, I was scared. I'm like, they're asking for her medical records. And I'm like, what? I mean, for me, I'm like, what is going on? Like, we were just normal, boring people. Really. <laughs> but they knew. There were doctors there that knew. And when you say when you say they knew, like what what specifically are you referring to? They were asking, and so these doctors from Israel were reaching out, asking about like Maddie's the things that were happening to Maddie. They were trying to stop this to be stop it because they were one of the first with like that mandated it with the kids. So, like Israel's in the forefront. Like there's more people vaccinated in Israel than anywhere else. So are you saying those were doc frontline doctors in Israel who mm -hmm. saw this happening to Israeli patients? Yes, Got it. and they okay. were trying to advocate, like they were trying to give testimony to the um, prime minister of health at, in Israel. There was a whole panel of them. Stephanie, given what you've learned now, and you know the folks you've you've gotten to know through this whole endeavor, do you think it's possible that this entire pandemic was a coordinated plan? The reason I do is like, how did this virus just come out of nowhere? How did the pharmaceutical companies create manufacturing lines that quickly when there's all these regulations with pharmaceuticals and, and how, you know, they have, you have to be like, none of it like lines up. It, it doesn't. They've changed their stories 50 billion times. Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. I work in a school. Do you know how many germs were? Those kids, like, it, it probably, I, it did not protect them. They sucked on those masks. They put those masks on the floor. They would switch masks. Like, half of them wore it below their nose. Like, just the things that they had us do were ridiculous. And they would change their stories. Like, do this. Oh, wait, don't do this. Do this. This works. Oh, wait. It doesn't work. It like when nobody, everybody just kind of trusts. They never look at it from like taking a step back, and it's like they said this. You know, masks weren't good. Masks are good. Masks aren't good. Masks are good. Just as one example. Oh, the vaccine is going to totally prevent it. Oh no, it's not going to prevent it. It's just going to make it not as severe. Oh wait. I mean, the story just keeps changing. You have to plan something like that out. I'm sorry. And where did this even come from? A lab. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't that lab also have connections to funding from an NIH study? Yes. Fauci was directly involved in it. So, Stephanie, with regards to, you know, a community for folks, it, it sounds like you've thankfully been able to, you know, finally find some other families who have had, you know, other injuries as well. And so if there are folks listening to this who are looking for truth and are looking for community support, what are some good ref resources for them? So I can send you the links. I mentioned Bri Andressen. So she was somebody who was injured, like even before Maddie, during a trial and has been a huge advocate. So she, along with some other vaccine injured, um, created an organization called React 19. And they actually have a fund um, that's, that 
helps the vaccine injured because it's a lot of this, it's coming out of your pocket. Like I said, we are in a completely different financial situation than we were before. We have a life funder and people think, oh, so we've gotten like 30 grand through that. That is nothing. Like it doesn't even touch the amount of money we've spent trying to get Maddie better. And we're not the only ones. So they also have a wealth of resources in terms of like how to talk to your doctor. They have a collection of all the peer-reviewed, I've learned all about peer-reviewed medical articles. They need to be peer-reviewed. And before I used to think, oh, well, if it's peer-reviewed, the doctors will take it seriously. And in the beginning they did, but now it doesn't even matter. If it's anything about a vaccine, it's like they don't even want to read it. But regardless, they have a collection of all those. They have a lot of resources for both doctors um, and for patients, and they can help with referring you to people. The other one is um, Real Not Rare. So that one has a ton of stories um, of people that were injured. Um, There's also a whole movement going out there called Can We Talk About It? Um, If you do that hashtag. And really it is, you know, we're not trying to cause problems. We just want to talk about what's happening to either our kids or if, if you're an, actual, an adult that's injured. And there's some families where there's parents and kids that were injured. So, yeah, it's people don't know these people that are suffering and their lives have been ruined. They can't work. They can't go to school. My daughter can't go to school. She can't see. She's in a wheelchair. She has an NG tube. Like it's these, and it's been two years, you know, almost two years. Like these people's lives have been changed and they've had to fight while being sick. So, um, those are two big ones that I feel like once you get to those, you can get to a lot of the other ones. There's, there's other organizations that are in other countries, but those are the two big ones in the United States. Great. Well, I'll definitely share those in the show notes. And for folks who uh, want to help contribute for uh, Maddie's medical bills, is there a GoFundMe or, or some other way that they can help on that front? So we have a life funder. GoFundMe won't allow anybody vaccine injured to, um, you can't use their platform. They will shut it down. Um, Yes, there are several people that have had it. Yes, and they've shut them down. Yeah. Um, Give Send Go has been allowing it, but we chose Life Life Funder, um, which has, there's been a pro to it and a con. It's, a lot of people haven't heard of it, but I feel like it's safe there. It's a Christian based and um, like it was started. And there, I mean, they, we knew from the beginning that, um, that they wouldn't shut it down because it they started small, they're growing mainly because people are going to that. Um, but uh, we do have a, a life funder, and if you just do life under Maddie DeGary, and when you do, if you search for hers, it'll bring up others as well that have these life funder accounts. So if you're going to look for injured people, it's give send go or life funder, there will be nothing. On um, GoFundMe, yeah, it's against their policy. It's against their policy. It's misinformation. No, it is for real. They've shut it down and taken like froze the money 
that for I, I know people that this happened to. And they never got the money out? They ended up refunding whoever I think um, had given the uh-huh. money. Yeah, they never got the money. And see, getting back to the question of if this was coordinated, right? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that, you know, look, it's, I mean, look, if you, if you had one corrupt pharmaceutical company like Pfizer, obviously that's not great. But the fact that it extends to traditional media, tech platforms, regulators, the medical research establishment and academia, I mean, where there's smoke, there's typically fire. And it feels like the more you dig into what actually happened during the pandemic, the more smoke you find. It, I mean, everybody's being controlled. I mean, if you do go against it, then you're, you get your hand slapped, to put it nicely. I think that that actually happened with Facebook. I don't know. Maybe it was from the beginning. Maybe it was just a facade to make it look like they were a little bit more innocent. But they're, I mean, they're horrible. It's ridiculous. People have things that are being censored that were posted like two, three years ago. All of a sudden. My daughter had two, two TikToks accounts shut down. And she doesn't even post anything. She doesn't even post anything because she had two accounts shut down, lost everything, and she didn't even post anything about the vaccine. It was her name. So where do you think we go from here, Stephanie? I mean, do you know, do you have any recommendations on for what the, you know, I think for me, at least, I, I hope that the first step for folks is, is the awareness of what's truly going on. Because I think, unfortunately, the way censorship works is no one, no one hears, or a lot of people don't hear these stories. So they just think, Anyone who's been censored is a, a crazy person spreading misinformation when they don't understand the actual s- story behind what's going on. Honestly, I don't think we can tell the story as much as you want to tell it until it happens to you or somebody close to you. And it's even happened where it's happening to somebody and then that's close to you and you still are like brainwashed. I, I, I think it's all about continuing to talk. Um, you can't convince people that have a mindset. That's what I think. Like if, if your mind is set on something, like they have to sadly experience it to be able to understand what's going on. I don't know how else you do it. I mean, you keep talking about it. And sometimes like if a certain news source will say it, they'll believe them. Or if a certain person will say it, they'll believe them. But I just People are brainwashed, like more than I ever, like you hear about brainwashing and you think, yeah, like, how is that possible? But I've seen it, like people close to us even. And I don't know if I would have done any, I'm not saying I'm any better. Like if this wouldn't happen to Maddie, I I don't know that I wouldn't have been, honestly, like it's so easy when you're in the state that we're in where everything in the world is insane and you just want normal to just grasp to whatever you're being told. I mean, I don't even watch NBC, ABC, any of those anymore because they're a joke. <laughs> they, they, they're, they're a joke. They tell nothing true. Fox is the closest from the major networks. But I do think that more and more people are talking 
and, and sadly, things are happening to more people. And if it happens to somebody you love, that's when I guess more people start talking. I, I don't know. This isn't anything new, is the sad thing. It's just blown up. Like I said, I met so many people where they lost their kids. Because most of these vaccines from before that were hurting kids, um, you know, it was less people it was happening to because there was only kids being vaccinated for the most part. I mean, there were adults being injured by like flu vaccines and stuff, but um, I have a whole new perspective with autism, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I don't know. I think as more and more people talk to other people, the the thing is, maybe they'll realize, even if they don't get injured, that possibly they're going to realize, oh, this happened to my child or me because of this. Because it isn't just this, the COVID vaccine. It's it's not. And they know, they're, they're, they could figure out why certain people react to things. They're, it's all about the money. It is. It's. I mean, I'm not a doctor, and I can figure it out. There are certain, the MTHFR, that gene, the majority of the people that have had issues have that, one of the mutations or both. It's a very simple test. And I think it's a really important point you bring out about, you know, this isn't like this pandemic was the first time the pharmaceutical companies and Fauci and, you know, his, the groups that he's chosen to fund have done sketchy things right and you know another thing bobby kennedy gets into is the mismanagement of the hiv and aids epidemic some of the illegal and just completely immoral studies that were done on foster children and, and kids in africa i mean it's just the further down you go the more horrifying it, it really is and there's even more with this whole with the whole trials and everything with Argentina, the massive amounts of people that were, whether they were in the trial or not, people don't realize like a huge chunk of those people were from Argentina. Why? Look at who is leading that. I just, nobody has time to pay attention to the details. Unless you've been affected by it. Which is why Bobby Kennedy is, I mean, he was injured by a vaccine. It changed his life. If that doesn't happen to you or somebody you love, you're not going to spend the time trying to understand what's happening. Or even listen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that also, you know, given what happened to his father and his uncle, he's probably a lot more suspicious of the official narrative that the authorities tell us than, than the average American. He reached out to us, by the way, very like right after she got out of the hospital, and I didn't believe it. I thought somebody was messing with us. Him and Steve Kirsch. Yeah. And that, that gives me hope, Brett. And I know it's it can feel, I'm sure, like the, those heroes are few and far between, but the fact that, you know, there are people like you, like Bobby Kennedy, that are taking the time to speak up on this and, and give 
other people the empowerment to step forward, I really think is just a, a snowball effect that's going to continue to compound. That's a good point. There are more and more people speaking up that were not before. Uh, yes, that is true. I need to remember that. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for, for joining the podcast tonight. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a really challenging story, but it's one that, you know, needs to be told. And, and thank you so much for, for sharing your story and Maddie's and, you know, we just, everything we can to help you guys and, and to ensure that your story continues to get out there. Well, thank you for giving us a voice. Absolutely. Have a great rest of your evening and uh, we'll be in touch. You as well. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you again to Stephanie for sharing her story and working tirelessly to bring out the truth of what happened during the COVID-19 pandemic. I've split this interview and outro into multiple episodes due to length, so please continue to episode 31 if you would like to learn more about Maddie's story and the pervasive corruption that took place during the pandemic. The outro is called COVID-19 Corruption, the Destruction of Public Health and Ideas to Regenerate It. In part one of the outro, I allege seven specific acts of corruption that took place during the pandemic. In part two, I provide a detailed timeline of how the pandemic played out, starting with the development of the pharmaceutical industrial complex in the early 1900s. In part three, I discuss Dr. Anthony Fauci, Bill Gates, and the Federal Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organization Act. In part four, I add an eighth allegation of corruption, that Big Pharma has suppressed fundamental scientific principles instead using their power to perpetuate theories they know to be false, but that support our current pharmaceutical paradigm. In part five, I close with some parting words for Maddie DeGary. Outro is also available at entangledpodcast.substack.com. Thanks again to everyone who approached this episode with an open mind, even if what you heard today contradicts what you knew about the COVID-19 pandemic. Truth triumphs in their long run. And as Eisenhower reminded us in his farewell address, in the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals so that security and liberty may prosper together. Stay alert and knowledgeable, my friends.
Stephanie has a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering and is now an educational aide at a public school in Ohio, a wife and a mother of three children. In late 2020, the DeGary family learned of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine trials for children ages 12 to 15 at Cincinnati's, children, at Cincinnati's Children Hospital. In late 2020, the DeGary family learned of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine trials for children ages 12 to 15 at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Looking for a return to normalcy like all of us, they agreed to let their three kids enroll in the trials.